Hi, my name is Anne Allen, Advanced Grief Recovery Specialist, and if you want to learn how to define your best life and have the courage to live it, you should be listening to the More Than Corporate Podcast with my good friend, Amber Furman. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Anne, thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. I really appreciate it. Hey, Amber, it's a real thrill to be here. Thanks for having me. I am super excited. I think that you have an amazing message that, you know, we were just talking about some really in-depth topics that are universally important, but so important right now as we're going through this really interesting time. So what I'd like to do is kind of start with just a little bit about you. I know that you grew up in New Zealand. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They told um, me what, the accent. <laughs> the accent, absolutely. I love the accent. So when did you come to the United States? Oh my gosh. I came to the United States in 1992. So 27, almost 28 years. Oh my gosh, that's just crazy. <laughs> what was it like as far as the differences? I know that you don't know what it's like to grow up in the United States, but you obviously have an idea based upon living here. What was the cultural differences like as far as um, what was expected of you growing up in New Zealand as opposed to growing up in the United States? Were there some differences that you can point to or was it pretty similar? Big time, big time. Um, So when I was a little girl, we we always had... um, very much an American influence on the TV programs that we would watch. So Star Trek was always my favorite and I dream of genie and bewitched and um, I'm from that era. Um, But yeah, growing up in New Zealand was so different and so isolated. And of course we have our own cultural norms and, you know, your expectations and very much generational based behavior. And when I came to the U S it just blew everything out of the water. It's like, wow, you guys are so kind of talking about your issues and things and (laughs) we were never encouraged to do that we were encouraged probably because being a British colony we were always encouraged you to stiff up a lip and take it on the chin and deal with it kind of thing so coming over here and everybody talking about having a therapist I'm like not really having no idea where I fit into all of that (laughs) was it a slower pace of life over there or was it very similar I hear people talk Um, about other countries where they're like you guys work too hard so yeah yeah. (laughs) um well I I did live for eight years in Australia and the and the culture is very similar as you can appreciate but yes it's a totally different way of life and I my parents moved around an awful lot when I was a kid and my dad worked as a landscape architect so we ended up going actually working for a lot of people who owned farms believe it or not you know they wanted their grounds to be manicured etc so we we spend a lot of time in farm farm kind of culture and that's totally different um it's it's beautiful it's wonderful being on the land being with nature and the animals etc and then coming over here the first day i remember coming landing in la and walking out from after being interrogated and <laughs> in immigration and feeling like I was a criminal having my fingerprints done. So, yeah, okay. 
okay, seriously, I'm okay. So anyway, walking out the main door and it, that was when it hit me. It was, it was stinking hot. There were helicopters overhead. There were cars everywhere. There was uh, exhaust fumes. Police were walking around with sidearms. And it's like, oh my God, nothing you see on the, on the movies can ever prepare you for, for, for that. It was a real assault to the senses and a real culture shock. But I am grateful I'm still here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So you're a registered nurse and you do advanced grief recovery and um, energy work. When did you decide that was what you wanted to do? Was that always kind of your passion or did you find that as you kind of eliminated other goals from life? That's a great question. Um, So I think I've been doing energy work all my life and didn't really know it, as a lot of people do say. And I used to see things, feel things, and, you know, without getting too woo-woo and be able to help people. But the grief recovery stuff, I jokingly say to people, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to tackle grief or I'm going to learn about grief. That doesn't normally happen that way. Um, when I was working as an RN in uh, Van Nuys, California, I had one of my colleagues say to me, he was an amazing hospice nurse, just fabulous. And he said to me, and you know, I think you'd make a great grief recovery specialist. And I said, well, I had no idea what that is. He said, come and see me at one o'clock. I'll have a chat. So I go, okay. So I go over there and, and he apparently was uh, had a already been certified as well and he told me about he said you can help a lot of people if you do this and so I went and I did it and I remember thinking at the end oh my god if only I had have had this knowledge and this ability to help people so many years ago I could have changed so many lives for the better for these people for my patients for whomever and at the time we had, I think there were three therapists in the room. It was a small group. And at the end, their jaws were literally on the ground. And they were saying, why doesn't everybody know this? <laughs> it's like, yeah, why doesn't everybody know this? So, yeah, that's how I got started. And, uh, yeah, haven't looked back. So are you still working as a nurse or do you have a well, just your company where you work with, with grief and, yeah, and energy? I, I left nursing back in 2006 when I moved from Portland, uh, sorry, when I moved from LA up to uh, Beaverton, uh, which is a suburb of Portland. And I now live in Vancouver, Washington. But I left it some time ago because I had a back injury. And But with the times that we're in right now, I am seriously thinking of going back in to pitch in. Yeah, so just for context, because these obviously get recorded a little bit before they get posted. Yes. We're right in the middle of figuring out how long this, you know, self-isolation is going to last. And one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording today was the fact that you do work so much with grief. And I think that people have a misunderstanding of what grief actually is. I think that people think of grief as loss of a, of a loved one and death, But can you talk about what you actually think? I don't know whether there's a definition or whether you just have like some characteristics, but what does grief actually entail? Oh, thank you so much for going to this. I always try and bring people right back to this because they have to have a foundational understanding of what it really is. So let's first of all start with loss. Okay, because we grieve any loss that's significant to us. So loss is defined as the change of 
or end in a familiar behavior or pattern related to a person, place, or thing. Now, that's a really big, long-winded definition, but it's the one that I use with people. There are many definitions, but this one really seems for people to understand. So if we break that down, we've got a change in or end of a familiar way of doing things. So where are we right now? Right in the thick of a change of familiar. So that's what loss is considered. Grief is the normal and natural conflicting emotions to any loss that's significant to us. So you notice I say conflicting emotions because we can have a roller coaster ride of how we're feeling at any one moment. So if we have a change of anything that's familiar to us and it's significant to us, we will grieve. So let's taper, let's let's not focus on where we are right now. Let's just look at general life. If we know that that we have a change in the familiar and that can cause us to grieve, what kinds of things can come up? What kinds of losses might we be looking at? Now, obviously, people, when they think of grief, the first thing they go to is death, you know, and, and rightly so. That's how, our, that's how our culture has been defined in many ways. Death of a person, death of an animal. Divorce is another one that sometimes people think of. But if I put to you that marriage is a loss because you've got a loss of identity, you've got a change in familiar way, familiar way of doing things, you've got a change in, uh, in how you are as a person, your identity has changed. Graduation, retirement, having a baby, financial loss, loss of faith, loss of childhood, loss of trust, all of these things can bring us to a place where we can actually grieve for them. Is that making sense? It is. Absolutely. So when you're working with individuals, I would expect, and I don't know for sure, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I would expect that when people reach out to you, they never reach out and say, hey, by the way, I'm grieving something. Can you help me? Can you talk about kind of the ways that you're able to connect with individuals who don't know what they're feeling? Like, how do you take somebody who calls you because they know something's not right, but they don't really know what it is and explain to them that they're grieving? Because that's a tough concept for somebody that's in an emotionally difficult time to really understand. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and I have a very specific set of questions that I've worked out over the years. I've been doing this for over 12 years now. And they're very pointed and very hard questions because I want people to understand where they're at. You know, I do it with, with compassion, but I, I want them to really get a, a good idea of where they're at. So I ask them a very specific set of questions. And um, it's some people will reach out and they will say, you know, my mother died or my father died or I, I'm just... I don't know where I'm at. Some people will be totally confused. So again, I ask them questions to, to help clarify that. And by the end of the time they've spoken with me, it's like, oh yeah, I'm really grieving more than just what I thought I was kind of thing. And then when they do the work with me, it becomes very clear what it is that they're, they're grieving over. So, and the work that I do with them is not therapy. We don't sit and talk. We actually have action steps to do. And that's quite unusual for a lot of people. But by yeah. the time they get to me, they want to put their teeth into something. It's like, I, I'm just, I need to do something. Yeah. And I think that that's something that so many people can relate to. And I'm not bashing therapy in any way, shape or form, because I think that it's necessary. Absolutely. But 
if I'm looking at my story in particular, there was a point in time where I needed therapy to understand what my emotions were. I needed to understand the emotions were healthy and stop suppressing them. But there came a point in time where all I was doing with therapy was talking and I wanted to actually make a change and an impact. Mm-hmm. And that's when I found neuro-linguistic programming and NLP. Mm-hmm. And when I relate them, I kind of relate therapy as kind of a do-to situation where you're listening to somebody talk and tell you what your emotions are. Whereas what you do in the NLP side of things is kind of like a do with situation. Like I'm going to tell you what we can do, what you can do to impact your situation. And I think they go hand in hand and they're both necessary, but the distinction is so important. Yes, I agree entirely. And I do want to make this disclaimer. I have the greatest respect for therapists. I really do. I've used them myself uh, and I had the greatest respect for support groups. Both entities are very much needed in this world in whatever capacity people find themselves and need to to go to them. But I will tell you this, I have so many people who come to me and say, Anne, I love my therapist or I love my support group, but you know, we just keep going around and around. We never get anywhere. And it comes to a point when people, by the time they get to me, they're ready to, they're hungry. I, I want something to do. Well, here, I've got something for you to do. <laughs> You're going to get homework yeah. every, every night. You're going to get homework. Well, and I think what you just said that is the most important thing for people to take is that they're ready. And that's what I feel like therapy does is it gets you ready because yes. I know yes. that when I started going to therapy in 2016, there's no way that I would have been ready to really understand what I needed to understand. I was trying to function. And so there comes a point in time where, but what I realized is that therapy was really, really good about helping me understand why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. It wasn't so amazing at helping me shift that. So I could understand it and I could deal with it and I, and I could um, control it but it was still happening. And it's the way it's that next step that I think is important in actually shifting it so you can move past it. Absolutely. And not everybody needs to go to therapy before they come to me. I do want to make that clear, you know, and not everybody's going to go to therapy because a lot of people just don't believe in it or, you know, they don't think it's going to work for them. So not all of my people have been to therapy before they come to me. So I think sometimes we just find our own uh, organic way to where we need to be. <laughs> you know? It's amazing how that happens, right? It it's almost it like yeah. the yeah. it's almost like it turns out the way it's supposed to. Yeah, yeah. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah, I truly believe in that. You know, we're, we 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 just if we get out of our own way, sometimes we actually get through life a little bit faster. <laughs> but yeah, oh no, I, I I truly believe there's no one way to bake a chocolate chip cookie, and there's no one way to to recover from your grief. But I do believe that this is the best way that I have ever found in my lifetime. And whatever leads you here, I'm I'm just grateful. Come on in, and I'm gonna change you change your your life to a, a point where you can actually start to get back into it again be yourself I love again. it I love it so one of the things that you said that really stuck out at me that triggered something that I've never really thought of before is this podcast is about defining your own idea of success or even if we want to take that a little bit deeper defining everything in your life so that you can have the life that you're supposed to have and when you were talking about your definition of grief and loss you talked about loss being or grief being the loss of a familiar way of doing things. And that made me think that people can actually grieve 
success if it's not turning out the way that they think it should. Would you agree with that or, or no? Like, can you talk about oh, that a little bit? Thank you. I could kiss you for saying that. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. I, you can tell I get passionate talking about grief. I'm one of those crazy people. Um, <laughs> saw a cool t-shirt the other, the other day saying one cat away from crazy. Yeah, I could relate to that too. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. This is the thing. Grief is one of those things that kind of puts its fingers into all parts of our lives and it can just kind of get so entwined and we don't even realize where it's showing up. And there are so many intangible losses that we have. And me being a nurse, even though I, I've been an RN for over 40 years practicing on and off, I still had areas where it's like, I have not been as successful as I wanted to be. Oh my gosh, I fell so short of the mark. I feel ashamed. I feel bad. I, I could have done this. I could have done that. And so I actually did my own grief recovery on my nursing career because it wasn't as successful as I wanted it to be. So yes, absolutely. People can definitely be grieving over a loss of success, even if they've had partial success or even if they never really, you know, went for what it was that they wanted to achieve in their lives. Yeah. That's so interesting to me when we, when we think about grief as just loss, because there's so much that you oh, can, that you can gosh. lose. Yes. Um, so you've been doing this grief, I don't want to call it counseling, but work and energy work and, and recovery. Um, you said for how long? Uh, I've been doing it for 12 years now. Okay. And what is your favorite part of working with people? Do you have something that is just amazing oh, to you? Oh, gosh. Well, there's two. First of all, when they come to me, and, they, and, and I feel and see that shift in them when they're ready to do the work. It's like, yes. Yes. And then there's this moment at the end when we've, when we finished all the, cause we have seven sessions and when we get to the seventh session and they finish doing their last thing that they need to do. And I just see it all fall away. That's a gift. That gets, I just look at them and I do, I'm sure I'm glowing because I'm just so excited because <laughs> they, they found, they found if they haven't already gone back to themselves, because that's one of the biggest things I always hear from people that they lose who they are. So if they haven't already gone back to themselves, they're well on the way to getting back to who they were or at least, you know, a version that they feel very comfortable with and that's as normal to them as possible. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I think that so many times we start with this life that we have all these dreams and ideas. And then one of the favorite ways that it's I've heard it described is um, from a guy named Charlie Javali, also known as CEO Charlie or Rocket, Charlie Rocket. And he says, you know, society told me what was realistic. So I had all of these dreams and then society tells me what's realistic. And then I let those go and start to mold into what society's told me is realistic. And so when people say, I'm trying to figure out and find myself again, it's so interesting that they're just trying to get back to that little kid that knew exactly what they wanted to do, knew their passions. And so yes. that's, that's so interesting yes. that you talk about people finding themselves again. Yeah, well, that's actually what I have on my website. You know, heal your grief, heal your life, finding your way back to you. 
because we've lost ourselves in our grief. Nobody wants to sit in grief, but unfortunately we have to feel the pain. We can't, we can't just wave a magic wand and take that away. And, yeah, we do. We, we have so many. I mean, I have many regrets in life. I wanted to be, um, I wanted to join the Navy and be a nurse in the Navy or do communications in the Navy. I wanted to be a flight attendant. <laughs> there are so many things I wanted to do. Now, some of them I still can achieve. I can write a book, I guess. Of, you know, I've still got plenty of years ahead of me for that but there are some things that have an expert an expert date on them <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I mean and we're not meant to accomplish everything that we dream of right we're wow. we're meant to figure out what we think is realistic or what exactly. we really want exactly. and what we want to suffer through and like make those yeah. decisions exactly. but I feel like at some point in time society starts making those decisions for us and mm -hmm. that's where yeah. you come into play yeah and this is what makes it so very difficult for my people because I have said the number one complaint is and I you know I, I can't be a grandmother anymore or I can't be intimate with my wife anymore or you know I, I just I keep pushing people away because I'm hurting and I don't want them to tell me stuff that's just making it worse or you know it's making them uncomfortable they can't be themselves they can't find their own essence again and who they are and that's what I really revel in and really love doing for them to help them find the courage to say no I this is me deal with where I am today you know it might make you uncomfortable but I see so many shifts and that's why I love doing the energy work as a as an emotional support for for the grief work they go hand in hand so beautifully it really helps them to define who they are again and that's so I don't even like to use the word empowering because it's been done so much but it really helps them find that true central column of strength in themselves that comes from deep in their and it's not what someone else has told them. They found that in themselves. And that's so beautiful to witness. You know, I, there's something that you just said that I absolutely love. I talk to people all the time about the importance of getting out of your comfort zone. And normally when I'm talking to people about that, we're talking in the entrepreneur world, the business world, or the physical world. But um, when you talked about, like, I don't want to burden my family. I don't want to make them uncomfortable, things like that. We are thinking about what would make us uncomfortable. And so it's so important to get out of our comfort zone emotionally like, and have those difficult conversations in order to grow. Yeah. And that's what I'm encouraging people to do now in the midst of, of where we are with this pandemic. Um, people are a captive audience. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're probably only a few feet away from your spouse. And yep. a lot of the times we'll do anything to get away from, from other people when we're in a bad mood or whatever, but we're, we're there. We've we got to deal with what's in front of us. So it's very important now that people will understand. It's like, you know, I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. I don't feel comfortable in my own environment. And this is, but there's going to be a shift with that as well, because then they, when they have, sat long enough with themselves and sat long enough with this it's kind of like being in a pressure cooker it will change their their whole idea about where they're at and we will learn to to talk in a different way and relate to each other in a different way yeah i 100 agree that that this is going to change the communication game um number one people are going to have to do it which I think is something that's sorely yeah. lacking. Um, but we were talking about before we came on the idea of all these Zoom happy hours and Zoom connections and, and internet connections that people are finding a new way to connect and that that normally runs a little bit deeper 
because you yes. have to make a real connection online. Yes. You have to talk about things. Yes. And so that's, that's so interesting to me, the way that, that as awful as this virus and pandemic is, that it's bringing out real necessary talks about grief and emotions. It really is. And I'm seeing now more too um, that people are really craving connection because there are some people who are actually isolated alone. They don't have family, they don't have pets or anything, and they're, they're craving that connection. So I actually did a Facebook Live, and if I might just share this with, with people because we don't know how long this is going on for you. Of course. To blow the air while we're still in the midst of the pandemic. but And, and maybe you might even want to put the Facebook uh, link on the, on your page when you go to air to help people. But uh, what I'm what I'm getting people to do is to take a pillow, and when they're talking online, and for the other person to take a pillow, and then this is what I do when I'm when I. I've been doing online grief recovery for a few years uh, too with people and I obviously I can't touch them. So I found this very effective, get them to hug the pillow. You hug the pillow as hard as you want to be hugging that person. And then they have to hug their pillow as hard as they want to be hugging you. And believe me, it works. There's, it's, it's a different kind of connection, but it's the closest we're going to get to a real hug. That's so interesting. It's so interesting, but we're, on whatever level, some people are more than others, but we're so kinesthetic and, and need to feel that like everybody has at least some of that in them. And so exactly. to be able to actually make that action and feel yeah. that warmth yeah. is, is so important. I've never yeah. thought about that. Yeah, no, it's extremely important because me, I'm, I'm, I'll hug anybody, <laughs> but I always make sure hugs are okay first because not everybody wants to be touched. Boy, I've learned that over the years. <laughs> um, but I thought let's tell the world about this because even people who don't, who aren't touchy feely, it's, it's an inanimate an animate object but it represents something so it's not as scary to them as as hugging a real physical being as well so you know it might just help people break down some barriers and I, I certainly hope so yeah absolutely so um one of the things that I want to touch on is you know we talked a little bit about this before um, we came on is so many people are dealing with a change of the way that their life works wow. and but on top of that they're dealing with um, this idea of seasonal depression, this idea of weather changing, you know, we're getting into a rainy season in so many different places. Can you kind of, and I think that people are more susceptible to these feelings now because they don't have anything else to distract them. Can you talk about seasonal depression, what that is and what people need to be, I know that it's not your main area of expertise, but in relation to what you do, what they need to be looking for. Absolutely, yes. So seasonal affective disorder or SAD is something that can happen to people when they are in an environment where there may not be a lot of sunlight or a lot of sunshine and it can be kind of gloomy and it's something that can be quite insidious and I am, it's, I'm certainly not, I'm not a licensed uh, psychiatrist and I would recommend people go to NAMI, NAMI.com, that's a national site about mental health and uh, basically it's something that happens to us and like I said it can be very insidious we don't even know that it is happening but we can start to feel uh, a little down or we might be eating more comfort carbs or we might be doing things that prevent us from from having to face what's going on in our lives, or we might be making excuses for not wanting to get outside. There are many ways that it can actually 
come upon us. And like I said, it's very slow and insidious for a lot of the times. And as I was sharing with you before we went to air, I actually do suffer from that myself. And it wasn't till I was speaking to my doctor and he looked at me and said, Anne, you had said. <laughs> and he knows he can speak with me straight up like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> I think you have seasonal depression. It's like, what? <laughs> and he was right. And he was right. And um, and I shared with you also before we went to air that this this year I had it again. I didn't realize. And it wasn't until I was driving along and in the sunshine realizing I was feeling better. It's like, oh, my God. I completely forgot. <laughs> I, I suffer from sad. And, you know, I probably could have taken more precautions. And the reason I like to tell people is, is because I, I like to be vulnerable and show you that I'm a real human being, that I am I am just as much affected by these things as anybody else. And um, we do, we forget things. We forget things in our lives. And it's very important to understand that with mental health being an issue, it's not a dirty word. It's not something that's taboo. It's something that can happen to a large percentage of people and we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to be part of that percentage and it's okay to stand up and say yeah hey I have uh, I have seasonal affective disorder hey I do have episodic depressive depressive symptoms uh, or I do have anxiety or I do have panic attacks doesn't make me less of a person you know, we wouldn't make fun of someone with a broken arm mm-hmm. or we wouldn't walk away from them and think they're contagious. But you talk about anxiety or depression and people are going to change the subject or they're going to turn away because I don't want to deal with that. I don't know what to talk about and I don't want it or I don't want to have to admit that I might have it. Yeah. And one of the things that we were, um, you know, talking about that I talk about with my audience all the time is like that we we don't really acknowledge as much as we should that these are human emotions and that it doesn't always have to be a label. Um, There, there are clinical diagnosis for um, anxiety and depression and panic attacks and things to that effect. But short of that clinical diagnosis, those are all human emotions that play into everything that we do. And suppressing those leads to so many other emotions like grief because you're no longer honoring the things that you need to be honoring. Like our emotions are just trying to tell us that something's not right, that we need to, we need to check something. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And I do not like, I, 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 one of the people always said, please don't label people. Please don't. It's one of the worst things we can do. And you are quite correct. They are emotional reactions to where we are. You'll notice I say I have episodic depressive symptoms. I don't say I'm depressed because I haven't been clinically diagnosed other than sad, but even that has variable reactions to it. Do I feel overwhelmed sometimes? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> do I feel like I can't can't cope sometimes? Of course. Do I feel elated and overjoyed at other times? Of course. I kind of like to go in the middle. I don't like those bipolar things. I like to go in the you know the you know one extreme to the other. I like to go in the middle and um, and find that nice level of uh, safety comfort flying but yeah we all have different emotions and bringing that back to grief that's where people will often get uh, a little bit hung up because a lot of people relate that to the different stages of grief and I do just want to take a moment if I may just to clarify that I truly believe there are no stages of grief and I'll tell you why uh, Dr. Kubler-Ross did some amazing work back in the 70s she was a, a, a wonderful doctor and she she did a lot of work with people who were dying 
and she noticed they definitely did go through some stages since uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And um, yeah, for sure, a lot of people did follow along and fit into that uh, that whole demographic. But unfortunately, over the years, a lot of well-meaning medical people have come along and taken that and tried to slot it into grief. So now what happens? We have people believing that they have to go through these stages to get to the other side. And I am here to tell you that denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance are all emotional reactions, and we can have them all within one minute. Or we can have them, you know, we can feel one one day, or we may feel none. I was never angry at my mom because she died. You know, I never bargained to bring her back. Was I in denial? No. And I'd like to change that word to disbelief. Most people really get it when we change that from denial to disbelief because it makes a lot more sense and it feels right for them. So when we have these emotional roller coaster moments or these emotional reactions, there's no way, no right way for them to slot in, but they can they can manifest as depression, anxiety, bipolar, whatever you want to call it, you know, whatever label you want to give it. So we all have moments where we feel these things. And it is a little concerning now where we find ourselves within this pandemic because we are captured within our own little ecosystem and people are going to be alone with these feelings and they are going to look for what we call stirbs or short-term energy relieving behaviors that are going to make people want to turn to alcohol drugs whatever it is that makes them feel good so that and unfortunately will kind of just add to it all I'm so glad that you touched on that because I am a true believer that there's obviously no cookie cutter approach to any type of life um, growth. So whether it's coaching or counseling or, or Mm -hmm. grief, like nobody can say, these are the seven things that you're going to go through and you're going to go through them in this timeframe and you're going to go through them in this order. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like on the point that you were just talking about that it creates, I mean, this is just another expectation that doesn't work out the way that we think it is because when we don't go through those orders, we start thinking what's wrong with us. Why, why am I not doing this? And then that just adds more onto it. Oh, I know. And it's so disrespectful to people and so hurtful because, yeah, expectations are just such a mind-blowing thing. And they, they really, what are they based on? They're based on all the information and all the misinformation that we've been given. You know, that's why part of my job is to really blow that out of the water to, to show people the misinformation they've been given about grief and about labeling people because, you know, the stages are labeling in many ways and, and how people are supposed to go through grief is very much uh, already predetermined and then it's like oh my god I'm not even grieving the right way (laughs) (laughs) I can't do anything right I can't even grieve right Um, that's so interesting (laughs) Um, so I talk a lot on this podcast about um, like I said getting out of your comfort zone failing being willing to to kind of push those limits and get up and try again and things like that. Um, And so many times when I'm talking about them, we're talking about the way that you react to getting out of your comfort zone or you react to a, a failure getting back up. I think having you on the podcast opens up this opportunity for a discussion about what happens in between the time that you fail at something and the time that you decide to get back up. Because we all know that it's important 
But I would imagine that there's a real process that our minds go through before we can convince ourselves to try again in that idea of failure. Is that, is that accurate or um, what's your experience with that, with, with trying to do something, not succeeding and needing to boost yourself up to try again and the, mm-hmm. the grieving side that goes in between that? That's a really good question, Amber. So one of the things that we always talk about um, at the Grief Recovery Institute and as grief recovery specialists, there's, there's a saying that we have, every relationship is unique, no exceptions. And what that means is every person is unique, no exceptions. So we're all going to have different ways of relating to possibly the same thing. Um, so every person is going to have their own way of reacting or not reacting. So when you're talking about having a loss over here and then coming out the other side, what's in the middle? Usually a whole lot of pain. And people will either sit in that pain and some people enjoy being in that pain. Some people never want to get out of that pain because it gives them an identity. And other people do anything they can to get out of it. <laughs> oh, my God, get me out of this place. I hate it. Uh, and then we get the other people who will do anything they can to avoid feeling the pain. So we've got people who want to stay in it, people who want to get out of it, and people who will do anything to avoid it. And that's what we call the stirbs or the short-term energy-releasing behavior. So that can be the drinking, the um, taking the recreational drugs, watching Netflix, favorite one of mine, um, <laughs> you know, eating, whatever it might be. So every person has their own way. And just as there are no true stages of grief, there's no one way that anybody will react to this. There can't be. You know, we can't cookie cutter it. So, okay, so you're going to have loss. Now you're going to have this really bad time in between, and now you're going to come out the other side. So some people have different reactions to that. They have varying degrees of success to that even, and depending on what they put into it. So when you're working with people, are you normally working with people on the personal side of things, or do you have business owners that come and talk to you that want to improve their business and they know that there's something that's preventing them from doing that? Yes, yes. I actually work with a lot of uh, business owners, actually, and I encourage it because a a lot of business owners are really stuck, and it's like, my business isn't succeeding. What's going on? And one of my one of my things, my my main focus or foci is to is to actually try and help them see where they are stuck. And a lot of the times, it can be through unresolved grief. They just really don't realize that they've got some issue that's hanging them up and holding them back from from going where they want to go. And it can be some small thing. That's so interesting. And I think that um, that's a topic that we haven't really been able to explore a lot. And, you know, so many times when people are going through this entrepreneurial world and this entrepreneurial journey, they're relying on these statements that everybody shares to the point that they become cliche, you know, like getting up after failure and trying again and getting uncomfortable. And never do we talk about how to do that. How, what, what are the actual things that you're going to feel? And I love that you mentioned Netflix because those Netflix and chill days that we all kind of feel a little guilty for having are so important to your journey in recovery. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't feel guilty at all. I'm, <laughs> I sat down yesterday and watched the, the whole day set. Well, not the whole day, but after like 11 o'clock in the morning till 
uh, 10 o'clock at night, I sat and watched TV all day. There, see, I said it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay with that. Don't you judge me. Don't judge me. <laughs> I'm not going to judge you. That was what I needed to do. No, but seriously, that's where I find myself. I need to take a rest. I'm tired. And it's an absolute uphill battle a lot of the times when you are uh, growing your business. And that's why I love working with business owners because the we're usually type A people and we're always trying to, you know, get things done. It's like, just chill, just stop. It's okay. And I think it comes back to those expectations that society puts on us. This, this is what a successful business owner looks like. Well, why can't I get past this stage? Well, here's the thing. You might have had a loss of trust in your childhood that's now preventing you from going out there and trusting business associates. Or you might have had a loss of faith in your own spirituality, whatever that might look like. And that's why you can't relate to a certain group of people. And this is why I love to take these, these people and show them oh, so this is where the loss showed up and this is why it might be keeping me stuck. And that's so powerful to go through and understand. And, and so many times we underestimate the power of really figuring out where that happened and the power that it has over us in everything that we do without even understanding. Exactly. And it will hold us captive very easily if we let it. Yeah. Absolutely. So shifting gears just a little bit, this podcast was um, started on this idea that we all have our own idea of success. We all have our own idea of what life looks like, whether we honor that or not. And that's really what it comes into is being able to honor your own specific idea of success. So for you individually, how do you define success? And has that definition changed for you throughout your life? And if so, how? Oh my gosh, yes. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> and I am not kidding people. <laughs> um, yeah, that has morphed into so many things. <laughs> Have I redefined myself? Oh, good grief, yes. <laughs> I'm still doing it. Um, but yeah, I think success to me is, am I thriving? You know, what does thriving mean to me? Thriving means I throw the covers off in the morning, I jump out of bed, and it's like, okay, what am I doing today? Okay, am I enjoying what I'm doing? No, I'm not. Okay, what, if, what can I do to change that? Now, we don't always have those thoughts, obviously, but that's, to, to me, success is if I'm happy within myself, um, if I am taking good care of myself, if I'm eating correctly, if I'm exercising, if I'm drinking good fluids, if I have a good a good home base, if I have a good financial stability, I have a, I actually even have an image of it on my on my board in my, in my office of what my foundational life looks like and of course my spirituality is in there as well and I'm very creative person and I must have animals in my life too so all of those things need to be in place and if they're all kind of in they don't have to be uh, equal but they do I, I know the feeling that they need to be in my life and if they're there then I'm successful that's, that's such true. an amazing uh, such an amazing way to to gauge success and that leads me directly into my next question which is Success and fulfillment, I think, are two ideas that people use interchangeably, but I personally believe that they are different. What do you think is the relationship between success and fulfillment? How do those two work together or complement each other? That's a great question. So success, as I just defined, you know, what, what my definition was there, and because uh, I used to define it by how much money I made and how much you know I had in the bank. But fulfillment 
is taking that idea of my success, that foundation of what I need to thrive as a human being and putting it into practice. So fulfillment is what have I done to help you? What have I done to help my people? What have I done to help myself? That's fulfillment. At the end of the day, if I've got a glass of wine in my hand or something and I'm going, today was a good day. Why was it a good day? You know, I always thank the universe every day for, I say at the end of the day, thank you for a great day. Even if it was the worst day of my life, I still say thank you because there was something still alive and I still have a chance to change it tomorrow. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I'm so intrigued by everybody's answers when they say this, because I think with any project or as with any project, when I started this, I was convinced that success and fulfillment went hand in hand. And I've had people tell me that they think they're entirely unrelated. I've had people tell me so many different answers. And it was just a reminder to me that like, not everybody sees success and fulfillment the same way. And um, I didn't realize, you know, as, as I'm sure you can relate that you start a project thinking you're going to get one thing out of it or that an end game is going to be one thing and you just learn something completely different from it. And so I love your answer on, on success and fulfillment. I think that it's super accurate and resonates with me for sure. I'm going to tell you, I feel very fulfilled having sat and watched Netflix yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) See, and, and you were successful at doing it. Like, like I said to you before we came on, I've changed my mentality from, I was unproductive today to being, I was very productive at resting. Like I did it. So (laughs) that's amazing. Um, After this. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Take that time. We, we have it now. You know, anybody who said, I don't have time to do something. Um, they have it now. So um, as far as, you know, comfort zones, we've talked a little bit about them, but I think it's so important to continually challenge ourselves and continually push our idea of what our comfort zone is. What are your ways that you challenge yourself um, to step out of your comfort zone, whether they're small daily ways or big ways? Boy, I'm a very shy person, and a lot of people find that very hard to believe, but I, I can get up and talk in front of 5,000 people, no problem, but put me in a social setting, like a party or something, and it's like I'm going to be the, I'm gonna be the, the lady over on the side with a, with a drink and just looking very uncomfortable, you know, with a smile on her face. <laughs> um, so going out and meeting people, networking was a big deal for me, but I do that quite successfully now and I've found that I actually like it. I'm not crazy, right? But how do I put myself in out of my comfort zone when I started doing podcasts? I've done quite a few of them now and I actually love it very much. But always thinking, well what is it I want to say? What's my message? How do I make sure people hear what I say? And it's like I can't control what they say. I can only control uh, sorry what they what they hear. I can only control what I say. Their message is for them. Um, so anytime that I'm putting myself in front of other people always takes me out of my comfort zone. Anytime I'm trying to tell people what I feel about what I do takes me out of my comfort zone. You know, you get to a point, of course, where you feel very comfortable telling people your message, but um, there's always that, that fear. Are they going to understand what I'm trying to say? But when I realize that that really doesn't matter, they'll, they'll hear what they want to hear. So. Such, a, such a great answer. And I think that, that that right there is the lesson that I want everybody to take from this. We've had so many powerful statements throughout this interview, but the idea that people are going to hear what they want to hear no matter what you say, I think is something that people need to just take and run with and sit in for a minute and understand that you can say whatever you want, but people are going to hear what they want to hear. 
Exactly. My commitment to them is to give them the message that I know to be true and honest. And they will, you know, because we're all listening through different filters and they will hear what they want to hear. And that's, it's just how it is. It's amazing. I've had a really good time with this conversation. And I think that there's been so much value that's been added to the audience, especially concerning grief and this interesting time that we're in. Um, Before we go, I would love to take an opportunity to let everybody get to know you a little bit with a quick random round. Are you okay with that? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what is a profession other than your own that you think would be fun to attempt? Oh, astronaut. Oh, that's a good answer. Um, If you could time travel, where would you go and why? Oh, backwards and forwards. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, What particular, not necessarily time period, but what would you hope to accomplish by going backwards and forwards? Well, it would just be for my own personal pleasure. Love it, love (laughs) it. Because I believe we shouldn't change the timeline, so I'd just love to go back. I'd love to go back to a time where I was smarter than other people. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. And I would love to go forward to um, maybe two or 300 years in the future to where it's like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, see see what's actually happened and been accomplished. What personality trait or skill or quality has been most helpful to you throughout your life? Probably my humor. Yeah. So important. And my integrity, my humor and my integrity. So important. As far as books, I'm a huge reader. Do you like to read books, physical books, or do you listen to audiobooks? Um, I'm, uh, I do listen to some audio, but I am more of a visual reader. Yeah. yeah. And what book have you recommended the most to people? The Grief Recovery Handbook. <laughs> <laughs> is that understandable for somebody who wants to yes. read and understand it, or yes. is it very technical? Yes. yes. Yes, yes, and yes. Okay, perfect. (laughs) No, it's been written in a way that everybody can understand it. It's one of the best books I've ever seen put out there. Yeah. Perfect. I am a huge music nerd. I think that music has super healing qualities, and for me, it's very peaceful. So I always have to ask people, what is your pump-up song? What motivates you right now and kind of gets you moving? The one that motivates me the most is a song by Yanni. It's called With an Orchid. And the reason it motivates me is because it was a song that I associated with my little kitty girl, Princess, who died two years ago. She was 18 years old. And when that happens to come on my playlist, she's talking to me. And that just, that motivates me the most. That's amazing. Do you have a morning routine, um, something that kind of gets you going in the morning? or And if so, what does that look like? And it's morphing right now just because of where we find ourselves and because I'm being a lot less harsh upon myself with my own expectations, so giving myself more leeway. So I go for a 30-minute brisk walk around where I live. Then I come back and I do a meditation for about 30 minutes, which is wonderful. And then I get into my office and do my to-do list and work through it and make sure I accomplish as much as I possibly can. And I then at seven o'clock every night, I watch MASH because I think it's one of the best written shows on TV, but it really brings me down from the day. It, It helps level things out. It's a good blend of pathos and humor and everything else. 
else. So, and then I let myself do whatever I want to do after that, whether it be work on business stuff or read or Netflix. <laughs> Love it. I've really appreciated this conversation. I appreciate all of the nuggets of wisdom that you gave our audience. And thank you so much for spending your time with us to share your knowledge. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Amber. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.